to Disorderly Dogs, the podcast for dog owners. If you find yourself in precarious predicaments with your dog, this podcast is for you. I'm Rachel Harris. I'm a certified professional dog trainer, and I hope to give you a fresh outlook on your dog's behavior and practical dog training advice. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Disorderly Dogs, the podcast. I have an amazing guest with me tonight who is doing pretty spectacular things in the agility world. And I'm so freaking excited for you guys to hear all about it because I know a lot of you people listening have reactive dogs. And if you wanted to, to do agility, this could be your way. Okay. So why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself for the listeners? Hi, everybody. I'm Megan Johnson. I am the founder of Reactive and Distracted Agility League, or RAD Agility. Um, I'm also a professional dog trainer at What a Great Dog in Richardson, which is just outside of Dallas, Texas. Oh my God. I'm so excited that you're here. So for everyone listening, their logo um, for (laughs) RAD, can you just tell the listeners? (laughs) Well, okay. It is a kind of like a mutt looking pit bullish type guy, uh, my favorite color teal with a floppy ear and a pointy ear and some devil horns <laughs> with a little heart just to remind you how much heart those have and to give yourself a little piece of that too. Um, kind of coming from a place like if everybody's got their reactive dogs, they know it can be hell sometimes. And that was my little inspiration there. Yeah, <laughs> also, I love it's it not so a much. freaking border collie. <laughs> oh my God. And so many people listening, like wholeheartedly feel that, right? Like yeah. we love yeah. our dogs, but sometimes it feels like they're little demons. In dog yes, body. absolutely. <laughs> oh okay. So before we kind of jump into like rad and what you're doing with all of that right now, Um, Mm -hmm. do you want to go ahead and kind of share a little bit of your journey into like becoming a dog trainer? Because I know that that wasn't like your intention a couple years Mm -hmm. ago and here you are now, right? Yep. So I moved to Texas after um, living in Germany for a while with my dad after high school. Um, and as soon as I moved here, bam, got my first dog. (laughs) I said, I was 20. I had the freedom to do it. Let's do this. So first dog. And then I've always been interested in agility specifically. Um, So even though I was just starting out in college at University of North Texas uh, in Denton, where I currently still live, um, I started attending agility classes there. And being the poor college student that I was, (laughs) even though I still wanted to keep paying for classes, I actually offered um, cleaning services to the owners of the business where I was taking classes. Um, to kind of help me pay my way through those classes. A um, few, day- few years down the line, um, I was actually invited to start teaching foundation classes and little manners classes um, and getting more and more exposed to um, other professionals in the arena. So people like Karen and Bob Deeds who are really big in the reactivity um, journeys here for a lot of dogs in the DFW area. Um, learning about them, shadowing them a little bit and kind of understanding more about the behavior type, you know, getting super nerdy. And then I guess even before then, I feel like this is probably true for a lot of people, Emily Larlam and Kiko Pup on YouTube, as far as providing like some super fun tricks and you know, basic training, but doing it in a way that's nice (laughs) and fun and silly and just kind of embracing that whole um, type of training. 
uh, moving on, my mentor was uh, very helpful in, in securing me new teaching opportunities and shadowing opportunities. And uh, at that facility, we had seminars from people from around the world. We even had Kiko Pup there, which was really fun. Um, and just kind of going forward, another instructor there got me really, really, really deep into agility as far as exposing me to like how to train dogs that were higher drive with her border collies. And then eventually, uh, get a border collie, get a border collie is what she was kind of pressuring me to do, which, and I say pressure very lightly. Um, it was for fun, right? Uh, <laughs> get a border collie. You'll love it. Uh, it's so fun. So actually the border collie I have now bricks, which is my inspiration for basically everything I do now, um, <laughs> was sight unseen. I was visiting my mom and saw a picture that she was, um, being held by a student of my mentor, um, asking if anybody was looking. And I said, me, I will do that. It's cute. It's fluffy. It's <laughs> let's do it. I think border collies are awesome. I'm excited. I want an agility dog um, that will be more competitive. I was getting into that. Um, my little terrier guy was kicking butt, but um, not taking any names, I guess. And so I wanted, I wanted to run with, with the big folks, right? Run with the big dogs. And so I got that border collie at about four and a half to five months by that point she had bounced around quite a lot I think I was the fifth home that she had had by that point which I'm sure had something to do with how she turned out to be a little bit exceptionally suspicious about the world and people um, as I know now years later <laughs> the socialization aspect at that age is so critical um, so who knows what what kind of things were going on um, or at least just the inconsistencies there, right? Might've paved the way for some behavioral issues. Um, I think we can and, all see that in retrospect, right? Like, sure, yeah. you know, getting these dogs. <laughs> and, and I think a lot of people can relate, right? Like um, mm. I, I've been in the agility world for a long time with a lot of dogs and it's really common, right? That like mm -hmm. order collies are exceptional at agility because mm. of their pre- disposed genetic makeup, right? Yep, They're supposed yep. to be handler focused, to be high drive, like all of those, that stuff lends itself really nicely mm -hmm. to agility. But I think that a lot of people don't realize the other stuff that comes with owning border collies. Yes. Like, yeah. There were some other instances with the other dogs at the facility where she would get rushed and charged and and so, of course, you know, I put it on my armor and I made sure that she would never see these dogs. She would never experience anything bad again. And I I guess it kind of became a cloistered situation. And so now she is six <laughs> and it is still very hard for her to see new dogs. She handles it so much better, right? We've got our thing down. She, she can move along, but it is a grumbly move along. <laughs> it is a I see you mother, I won't yell at them, but I am not happy about the situation, right? Um, and so we, we get by, some days obviously better than others. Um, and she's a brilliant dog and I trust her to make good choices now, although she shares her opinions about it. Um, but she, she's a great dog and I, I really chalk it up to learning I hope soon enough to then be able to kind of prevent bad things from happening. But then I also look back and think maybe I sheltered her too much, possibly by just being too afraid of what had happened. 
but you know, what do you do <laughs> when you see your dog get attacked by another dog? And <laughs> this is all of us, right? Yeah. Like mm-hmm. we do our freaking best, right? Like yeah. we do our best, but sometimes things happen. Our dogs have negative yeah. experiences. We do mm-hmm. our best to protect them. But I think that a lot of people listening can relate to that, right? Where mm-hmm. like, you feel like you're doing everything right. And then there's this negative thing. And then we like mm. backpedal 5,000 feet and are like, okay, now I'm not going to yeah. anything. And I think that that's a normal human response. We want to mm-hmm. do the best that we can for our dogs. And sometimes mm-hmm. shit hits the fan and our dogs have negative yeah. experiences. Um, and it just is what it is, right? But what a beautiful learning opportunity because yeah. all those lessons you probably wouldn't have learned, right? Otherwise. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay, so tell me a little bit about um, Briggs's early days of like competing and like a traditional, uh, agility <laughs> competition department. So for those of you listening who aren't super familiar with agility and agility trials, they're hectic. There are a lot yes. of dogs who yep. are in close proximity. They are in mm-hmm. nerd arenas with really loud noises. Like it is an insane environment that we ask mm-hmm. these dogs to perform in like truly. Yep. Right. So mm-hmm. can you just share a little bit about like what her early trialing days were like. Sure. So fortunately, because of where I worked, I was able to work with a highly competitive and very skilled trainer with, you know, bukus of bokos. Uh, (laughs) And so she was definitely great there. And the place that we were training in was indoors on rubber mats. And so I would call that almost like a pretty clinical situation. We went through a few fun matches that were local. So being able to like fake trial or or train where you trial and doing all those kinds of things for exposure there. She did fabulously at like fun matches and stuff. Um, You know, I could trust her off leash if we were at the warm up jump, that kind of stuff. We had a great bond already, worked very hard on that. Um, But I decided to debut her at two years old at the Southwest Regional here in Texas, um, which regionals for USDAA specifically are large events, larger than your normal every weekend kind of local qualifier type of thing. So people coming from all different states in the area or even cross country to be here because you're competing in tournaments in order to go to nationals. So it's a big space and there's lots going on and it's uh, two rings, it was a big arena. Uh, (laughs) So we go to our first uh, course and man, the poor thing couldn't get through three obstacles without just ah, <laughs> just freaking out. And she always barks. She's a talkative dog, and I've learned to embrace the bark as long as you're with me still. <laughs> um, but good lord, it was bars falling, spinning, and I was like, "Who is this dog?" Because this is not my dog. And the barking and screaming, sure, I was used to. She just gets super stoked and lets all her feelings out, but there was nothing I could do to get her to like ground down a little. And so it was a hot mess. <laughs> and so my, you know, hundred plus dollar entry, I was like, well, <laughs> that's not gonna go anywhere. So I pulled her from half of the remaining classes that we had, cause I just didn't see the point. Um, also clearly embarrassed. And uh, <laughs> cause I, you know, I was, I was a foundations teacher at that time. I was also kind of like the understudy of like the other highly competitive woman that was there. And so I was just like, oh God, everybody's staring at me. I'm sure they weren't, Um, but I didn't want to be judged. And it was really embarrassing to have that dog that's just losing their shit. Like how, what's happening? (laughs) So after that, 
I took a look-see and thought, okay, so clearly you're not ready for this, honey. And so we took a year off of competing in those types of environments. Um, I still took classes, we still did training, we still refined skills, but now the more important part was that behavioral part. Um, the let's look at exciting things and keep our shit together. <laughs> let's look at high, you know, high velocity dogs and barking. Let's hear these things, let's see these things and let's play fetch, you know, just kind of like the more basic dog stuff. Um, I would go where friends were trialing and just hang out with her. I started calling it a chillity, <laughs> uh, which is actually a class I'm going to start teaching at What a Great Dog pretty soon. I'm very excited about, but learning to crate and not be screaming and digging at the mesh and learning to eat ringside and settle and all of these qualities of calm dogs is what I focused on her because you cannot be that stressed out and be happy. And I don't care if it, ooh, it's drive. They're just drivey, drive, drive, oh, they're excited. They let, no, <laughs> I cannot allow my dog to exist in that headspace and expect her to excel or thrive or be healthy. It just did not jive with me because she made it abundantly clear that this was too hard, right? to keep a bar up at 22 inches when, oh my God, there's another dog barking and screaming over there. Or there's a dog behind me barking and screaming, ready to come in. Or I have to run into a finish jump where there is a dog barking and tugging. Like it's so much to expect from her at that point. But now, you know, now that she's six, so four years down the road and hence, you know, throughout the years, it's, I can go to an agility place or an agility competition and she understands that environment so well now. And I mean, it could be, we drive to California to compete or Florida. She understands the makeup and what to expect now because of all that hard work and routine building, you know, I can finish the course, slap her leash on and I, don't, I know I don't do this, but <laughs> if I dropped the leash, she would zigzag past all the things to go to her crate to get those cookies because of the ritualization of it. And I trust her more in those situations than I do in the parking lot outside my apartment. Not that I tr don't trust her, but I she's more predictable in those situations because she can predict those situations better, um, which I think is a a highly valuable thing for people to invest the time into rather than just standing there, ignoring their dog, waiting for their turn, letting their dogs go ape shit or letting their dogs bark up the ass of the next dog <laughs> or, you know, any number of things that to me feels very um, inconsiderate and invasive. <laughs> oh boy, the pushback I'm going to get. <laughs> uh, but it's so but, true. And like, I mean, I mean, seriously, I have to commend you because it takes a lot to be like, okay, we need a year to refocus here. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, agility is really addicting because it's fun, mm -hmm. right? It's like so agility fun. is mm -hmm. really fun. But I think that when we really break down the actual skill sets that our dogs need to be successful in agility, it's really like 80% like life skills in a busy environment mm -hmm. and like 20% agility skills. Yeah, exactly. Right? Like it, mm -hmm. it's so much more than that. And like, you know, it's 30 seconds of the time that you're there, you're there for hours and hours 
and then maybe you're running off leash for 40 seconds, right? You get to do the sexy stuff for such a small amount of time. And then what, how do I want my dog to feel? What do I want my dog to be doing when they're not? And that, that became a high priority. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think like, you know, in the, a lot of agility environments, right. And like, obviously, you know, I don't know everything about every agility environment, but in my experience, there's a lot going on that like, in my personal opinion, I don't agree with as far as like people and how they handle their dogs and like how they're existing with them. And that's really challenging, right. When like you show up, you're a great trainer. You have a great relationship with your dog. You're trying to do your best. And it feels like everybody else doesn't really give a fuck about giving you space or being polite, you know, and that's not everybody. There are some amazing people in the agility world who get it and they're going to be conscious. It's clicky, you know, I feel like it's anything it's clicky. So, and I feel like that's an inescapable thing, I suppose in the dog world. Yeah. Shouldn't be that inescapable, but (laughs) Yeah. Right. Like, unfortunately that's just part of it, right? Like that's just Mm -hmm. part of competing in agility. And then you have a dog, right. Who can be reactive, distracted, you name Mm -hmm. it. And it can be really isolating, right. At first Mm -hmm. we're like, Oh my God, how are we going to exist in this? And like, Mm -hmm. you know, for those of you listening, you all already know Waylon and his journey and his story, but like my intention with Waylon, when I purchased him from a breeder was to do high level agility stuff, right? Like that is Mm -hmm. what I wanted to do. And we did a lot of that. And then I realized that Waylon didn't really love it. Right. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. right. Like it wasn't his thing. Like, you know, agility is just, it's an addicting thing that I think pushes people to push their dogs beyond a oh, lot yeah. of limits more than you would in like an average or ordinary situation. For sure. Yes. Yep. The difference between what people expect their dogs to do on a patio versus what they expect from their dogs in a situation that is like a patio on fire, (laughs) you know, and, and then be cool, be cool, be good. You know, uh, she's mad at me because I didn't take her outside earlier. I don't know. Like there's all of these excuses, excuses, excuses for why dogs spin out of control, literally and figuratively, like when they're on courses and stuff. Um, yeah, what we ask our dogs to do in agility is, insanely unnatural right and then when you even when you start to make it like ultra competitive it really starts to it really starts to show the uglier side of human competition right and I know that there are so many beautiful people out there that like keep it cool and keep it friendly and I applaud those venues and I personally am the one writing my checks to those places um so that's the type of environment that I want to help foster and kind of like hold a torch to. Like I I want to be, I want to be that. And then I want to show people that it's possible. And I want to give something to competitors that where they can choose to, you know, it doesn't all, it's not all about money, but I want to tell them like, okay, you have a choice. Like, are you going to give a hundred dollars to this place and go be miserable and isolated, like you said, and, you know, looked down on because your dog needs a minute or your dog needs six extra feet behind them. Or, or do you want to come to a place where all of those needs are facilitated and everything is built around the expectation that your dog has those problems, even if they don't, it could just be that you're a brand new competitor 
and you don't want to have to, you know, clean the mud out of your car afterwards. Like it could be anything like that. Um, but I just, I, I think the mental space around agility right now, and I'm not even one of those world team type people. I won't even pretend, but what I see as a lower echelon competitor with a competitive dog being exposed to those sorts of situations, it's, it makes me kind of want to turn my head and just kind of leave it alone because it feels a little cold a lot of the time. And I'm not trying to put anybody down, but it's hard. <laughs> and I don't know if that's the reality anywhere else, but that's what the DFW area seems to be sometimes. <gasps> no, and I People think I think that that's a common thread in a lot of places, right? Mm -hmm. And like, you know, um, I competed for years with uh, my dog, Sunny, who could be leash reactive and also dog aggressive um, mm -hmm. and was also a pit bull type dog, right? Like that was a lot, like going into the yeah. agility world and like lungy border collies and just like work oh up dogs yeah. and like, you know, trying to convey to people like, listen, please do not come in my bubble, mm -hmm. like, and it's because you hard. have that kind of dog, right? It's like, hyper focused on you. You cannot mess up because you're walking into this space with that dog. So God forbid he fail, right? Yeah, right. Meanwhile, Shelties and Border Collies can go ape shit, and that's fine. They have drive. Like, <laughs> yeah, right. Like it, it's 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 a lot. It's a lot of environment. And like, I mean, shout out to the amazing people who welcomed me with fucking open arms. It's like, okay, yeah. here's this tattoo. Yeah about this pit bull like let's support her it wasn't everyone mm -hmm. but I definitely made those friends but I tell you what if there was a venue that existed like you have created I think it mm -hmm. could have been a much more uh reinforcing experience for everyone okay so mm -hmm. let's talk about the specifics of rad so um kind of walk us through what is different about mm -hmm. rad than like a normal like AKC or like USDA venue awesome okay so I when I was building up my rules and regulations for this, I, I'm also a UKI judge. I became a judge back in 2018. Um, and I wanted to be a judge for UKI specifically because of their stress on sportsmanship and their stress on the quality of course design, the types of courses they design, um, which I really appreciated uh, the nerdy side, right? <laughs> um, I've gone through their global judging program um, one and two, uh, to learn about all of the hardcore aspects to course design, as well as being a good judge and being a good event moderator, um, to make sure that rules are followed. People are safe. Dogs are safe. Um, people are happy essentially when all those things are checked off, everybody's happy. Right. Um, so a lot of my rules are based off of the rules from UKI because it is a place of home for me. And it is something I can remember easily. <laughs> uh, I have tweaked some things, but so basically a rad trial, reactive and distracted dogs, the facilities that are going to be able to host rad trials are framed off of the, my, I'll be honest, my, my current place of work, which is what a great dog in Richardson. It is an 85 by 65 foot ring on artificial turf with two walls that are walls. Um, one wall that is windows with blinds and like decals so you can't see through it. And then the fourth wall is a three foot pony wall that is bolted to the floor and there is no chance for a dog to escape. 
move the wall or anything like the dog would have to fly over the wall in order to get anywhere else. Um, I've seen it happen twice. Uh, <laughs> it was not a rad trial. <laughs> so I wanted safety. I wanted indoors and, you know, being a competitor, seeing other people compete, what were the large uh, triggers, environmental triggers, or what were the large distraction things, or what were the things that really made dogs nervous or afraid or stressy. Um, so indoors only is the rule because dirt is highly interesting, <laughs> especially dirt mixed with cow poop and horse poop and whatever, all kinds of stuff, dead rats. I don't know. It like a lot of these things are in horse arenas, right? So who knows what like kind of barn activity is going on. Um, also walls that were not see-through because I understand when dogs on the sidelines were barking or staring or lunging or tugging or going nuts on the side, that can be really intimidating for the dogs that are inside. Um, also, we do not allow for spectators to be ringside. So dogs that are afraid of people, and especially now with COVID, right, everybody's looking like <laughs> covered in masks or wearing hats, and so it looks a little bit freaky. Um, so no spectators are allowed ringside, um, unless it is a housemate of that dog or somebody that the dog knows, and you know maybe they want to film for that person running. Um, and then the only people that are there are like timers and scribes and the judge. Um, so everybody is guaranteed a three minute turn. And that is so that you can bring your dog in. You can walk them around a little bit. You can't walk the course again, but they can acclimate. They can kind of, where are the ninjas? I know they're here, you know, kind of <laughs> like source the environment out a little bit. Um, you can place toys and food into a reward zone, which is something from UKI that they initiated, which is super cool. Um, so no food on the course, because I don't want to spoil a run for somebody else. But if you want to treat your dog in the middle of your run, you have access to that. Um, you can leave your leash over there, that kind of stuff. So you have your three minutes. You can run for the competition for the titling aspect, or you can use it as a training opportunity and just like work on whatever you want, even if it's just coming in and showing your dog a new space and working with them there, kind of like a fun match if you really wanted it to be. But you have that three minutes that's guaranteed to you. Um, and then the next dog would come in each class. So that would be novice jumping a, for instance, only has six dogs allowed. And the reason I'm doing this is because the crating situation, I did not want to make it so that the crating situation became a source of stress because a lot of people forget that part at agility trials too. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I know how many times I've opted to just be like, screw it. My dog is staying in the car because I can't walk down this alleyway without crates like chasing us or <laughs> uh, dogs just blowing up as soon as you get within five feet. It's too stressful. It's not fun. It's not fun for the dogs in the crate, I'm sure. It's not fun to force my dog to have to run but not be able to because I'm holding her on a leash. Like it's all of these things. So I wanted to make sure that even the crating space was limited. So I don't want to cram people in there. COVID, obviously, you know, I'm, that's a welcomed element, I'm sure. So I'm being very, you know, vigilant about that too. So the crating currently with our facility, the way that it is eight people max inside. So only eight dogs max are inside during the crating space. Everybody else, if you don't get here early enough or anything, you can crate in your car um, away from the doors, you know, so your dog can be stress-free in a familiar place. Um, and then everything is timed. And so far, 
I have beautiful helpers. They've been amazing. Um, my volunteer crew, um, shout out to Jessica. I know Chihuahua on Instagram. Um, <laughs> uh, so she's my little, she's an amazing course helper. She's my, um, trial supervisor. <laughs> um, great title, no raise. <laughs> um, but it runs very smoothly. The schedule is locked down so that if you do have a nervous dog and you don't want to sit there for hours and hours and hours waiting your turn because of the limited class size, you know exactly when you need to be there. So you can limit the amount of time that your dog has to be stressed out if it is a really hard thing for them, which I also think is super cool because how many times have you like, okay, you got to show up at seven o'clock in the morning and you don't run till two or something like that. And it's crazy. And so your dog's just sitting there either asleep or bored or stressed out or, you know, just kind of like shaking in their pants. It, it could be any kind of thing. So I wanted to cut down on that so that people could show up when they needed to and leave or do their thing. Um, but that's, that's kind of what makes it very specialized and very tailored to this group of dogs and handlers too. Oh my yeah. God. It's so perfectly <laughs> curated. Oh my God. Yes, I seriously it's... love every detail you do. I'm going to come to Texas when COVID yeah. is like, <laughs> in a rad trial. Okay. So yeah. can you just tell us a little bit more about like the judges? Because I think that mm -hmm. from personal experience, this is something that like it's hard because if a mm -hmm. judge isn't behavior savvy and they're like all mm -hmm. up in your dog's grill, woo, doesn't that throw a wrench into things? Yeah. So it's funny. Uh, there aren't, I'm the only judge at this moment. <laughs> uh, and I, like I said, I am a UKI judge too. So I pre-approved myself. <laughs> Good job. Um, yeah. um, and yes, if, if, if rad grows, which I hope it does, um, it's, and it's going to be a difficult road because of how specialized the environment needs to be. I won't give up on any of those elements. Um, and so the facilities have to be very, very specific. Um, but as far as judges, um, a colleague of mine at What a Great Dog is Rachel Downs. Maybe you've heard of her, Strategic Dog, dog Sports. Um, she does a great stimulus control seminar that she travels around giving. Um, I've attended it, it's wonderful. Um, but she is behavior savvy. Um, she is highly educated in that, which I super appreciate. And so um, she has told me that she would love to judge for me. So I'll make her do a little test and get approved. <laughs> uh, but I, I see her judging for me in the future. Um, but as any, if anybody wants to be a judge, I think still because Rad is so young, um, if you're already a judge somewhere else, that's going to be like a first step. And then I do want to know what your background and credentials are with dogs that have these issues. Um, I, because honestly, it is not, it's not a charity, but it's also not a money pot <laughs> right. um, because it's so limited. I can't cram in dogs. So for judges to want to judge for rad, I it's not going to be a big money-making opportunity for you if that's why you judge. Um, and if that's why you judge, then no, <laughs> please do not apply. But <laughs> uh, so at the moment, I'm the only judge currently. We've only had two trials so far that have been beautiful. Um, and then Rachel Downs would be my next judge uh, for a future trial later this year. <laughs> that's amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and I think that um, it's really cool that like, 
it's so young, right? Because you get to learn and grow and like understand mm-hmm. those things that like are definitely not negotiable. Maybe some things you could like grow on and improve in. So mm-hmm. can you, um, do you want to kind of tell the listeners like what your like vision is for rad? Yeah. I, I would love it to go national. I would, I know there are some amazing facilities out there, gorgeous facilities, all indoors on that awesome turf, um, enclosed, safe, all of that stuff. So if rad were to go big time, I would, I would love that. So the thing people need to understand about rad though, is that unlike all the other venues at the moment, there are no place structures. So if you are going to compete in rad, there is no first or second place. It's set up, you know, because like I said, it's a very uh, finite um, class structure. So you could have a class that has six different jump heights, right? So I figured that the best way, and then when you consider the population of dogs that are partaking, right? You're already competing against so much. So I don't really want to worry or make them worry about competing against the dog coming in behind them. Right. Because what I want really rad is for the dogs before the people. I mean, the people, of course, you're, I want you to feel comfortable. I want you to feel facilitated. I want you to feel encouraged, but your dog is my priority and, or it rad's priority and everybody that's working and volunteering and anybody that comes in to compete. And I say this in the mission statement, they're there with the understanding that these dogs are this way. And so that you need to conduct yourself in a way that is empathetic to that, right? Um, And so with RAD to grow, I need people that want to participate and facilitate these trials with the understanding that it is about the dog, right? It comes down to that, to that dog and that person having a really good time and not having to worry about all of those other things. Um, Cues are awesome and fun and so reinforcing sure um especially when the ribbons look as good as mine do (laughs) Uh, snap 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 uh (laughs) but i i do want rad to be something that people want to embrace and give it a shot but with the understanding that if you're going to do it well you have to do it right and i'll be real picky (laughs) as far as um allowing people to host a rad trial especially if i can't be there Um, but I don't also want to discourage people from trying, um, or reaching out about it because I know that there are plenty of places that could facilitate a rad trial and do it well. I just want to make sure that the spirit behind it is the right one. And it matters, right? Like it's Mm -hmm. really important, right? Like it's so Mm -hmm. much more than like, we're a new dog agility venue. Like, no, 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 No. we are specialized. It's on Mm -hmm. purpose. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I think that in all of the other venues, right? Like, I really do think that it's fostered towards like people and profits much more than it is the dog. And like, there's exceptions and I don't want to throw anyone under the bus, but like, Mm -hmm. that's why I wanted you on the podcast because what you're doing is particularly special, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that if RAD can, when RAD goes national, it's Mm -hmm. really just going to change the tone for agility. And I think that it's going to have ripple effects far outside of the agility world. You know what I mean? Mm, Like, so yeah. Celebrating our, our dogs for who they are, limitate limitations and all right. And like Mm -hmm. curating that and setting that up. I think it's, 
it's so beautiful. And I'm just, I'm so glad that you're doing it. So if listeners were interested in like hosting or learning more, Mm -hmm. what's, what's the best way for them to, to connect with you? So you're going to want to go to the website with the longest name ever. I'll include a link <laughs> um, in the show notes. Thank people. you. <laughs> so it's reactiveanddistractedagility.com. And then there's a contact form there. You can reach out or you can go on Instagram and message through Rad Agility. Um, and then we also have a Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash rad agility. And that would be a great place to start. And the only person who's answering right now is me. <laughs> um, like I said, we're still, we're growing. We're like a little baby fetus agility organization. Um, but with a damn big heart for starters. Um, so if anybody is curious, then I already have some people that have reached out to say, Yes, 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 please. Yes. How do we do this? So I'm really, really excited about that actually. um, And they're up in Oregon. So I'm hoping (laughs) wink, wink, nudge, nudge uh, that maybe something happens on the West coast sometime. Um, But yeah, that's, that's how I would reach me. (laughs) Yes. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Because I mean, there are reactive and distracted uh, dogs all over, right? They're um, everywhere, yeah. right? Waylon is mm-hmm. one of those dogs. And I think, you know, I think something else just to highlight about, you know, what you've created is that I think that a lot of people that get into agility and go to an agility trial are like, this isn't really what I wanted, right? Like we mm-hmm. like agility and it's fun, but we don't want this like crazy competitive environment, yeah. right? Like it can be a real turnoff. Yeah. That's what I want from agility, right? Like mm-hmm. I don't, Ribbons are fun, but the point is to go and have fun with the dog and cultivate our skills, not like mm-hmm. go somewhere where the dog is overwhelmed and I'm overwhelmed. I'm like, why did I spend this much money to come here and feel like this? Right. Mm-hmm. Like- yeah. And that, that's a message I've gotten from. So a lot of the first time rad participants were our students of mine. And they're also the people that really, truly inspired me. You know, I, I say bricks is my Um, you know, my inspiration for everything, but it's also people that I've been working with for years, people that I've helped work on getting their dogs just to get out of the car, you know, to come in, to take a class, they thrive in the class, but oh my God, the parking lot, what? (laughs) And so these are people that I've worked with for years, people that, you know, even people that have dogs that they've just worked and worked and worked and they're brilliant in class and they're just great trainers and they understand the behavior part of it because they've had to because they've worked with me and other trainers on, you know, fostering understanding of that. Like your dog's not stubborn. Your dog isn't mad at you. Like it's all of these things. Your, your dog's freaked out because the chair that was in that corner last week is now over there <laughs> or like any, anything like that. Or the, the wind is blowing the freight door and making it clang. It's not because they don't like the weaves. It's because right now something else has their head. Um, and so like huge shout out to all of my students that showed up and, you know, were really encouraging me to keep it going and have told me and reached out to me personally, this is our home now. This is the only place where we can go to, to test our skills. And I'm not saying rad, you know, of course I'm the one designing the courses at the moment, but these courses are not dumbed down by any means. The environment might be watered a bit to help your dog, but the challenges are there. So that's one of our mottos is, you know, um, 
real world agility challenges for dogs with real world struggles. So the, the challenge on the course is real. <laughs> they, they test your skills, but without your dog having to worry about a pile of poop or a cat running around or other dogs screaming nearby. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah I think that like, you know, to the average dog person, right? Like mm -hmm. you don't notice those subtle things in the environment, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, and, and I, I've heard this so, so I don't teach agility anymore guys, but I, I taught agility for years, which I loved. So, <laughs> uh, but you know, I heard a lot of people, well, the dog is great in class. Like, yeah, yeah. aren't mm -hmm. they right. But like, there is so much more going on, right? Yeah. Like Mm -hmm. Even I had to leave a trial because someone slammed the arena door and she couldn't come back from it. Right. Like just those subtle yeah. things that like, we don't want to pay attention to, but our dogs are paying attention to. And like, yeah. if your dog has a hard time with those things, is it really fair to continually ask them to keep going to these places? Like, mm -hmm. I love what you've created, right? For those of us who have dogs who have certain challenges where we can make sure that those things aren't going to completely freak them out and they can just mm -hmm. kick ass and show off all the agility skills that we've cultivated, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's a much more empowering experience for the dog and then for the humans too. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Cause it just takes, a, it peels away things that they don't have to worry about. They know there's not going to be a dog barking. They, I mean, they know that their dog's not going to run away if they get distracted or go chase another dog. They know, they know these things are set in place for them. And so they're able to relax. They're able to, and, and if a person is relaxed, they, and especially having more time, they can allow their dog to take the time, right? That's, that's so hard when you are, and, and so like kind of going back to, we, we kind of talked about it as far as like money-making and agility. So yeah, anybody could, anybody can look at a rad premium and on a quick little calculator, like figure out how much money rad could bring in on a weekend. It ain't much compared to what these other venues are able to do. But also like, and that's not to say that a shit ton of work doesn't go into hosting a trial. A shit ton of money doesn't get spent on investing in the items and the equipment and the people and the, you know, the haulers and the space and the renting. Like it is a expensive endeavor. So like props across the board for anybody hosting any sort of agility um, trial. It's so much work. Good Lord. Um, the software, the, you know, the reporting and all of that stuff. Um, they work so hard, but at the same time, because there is limitless entries to a degree, right. And I'm talking like potentially hundreds of runs per weekend versus a hundred, <laughs> which is where I kind of basically draw the line over a Saturday and Sunday, a hundred runs, right? Um, so there is impetus to let's get the next dog in because, and it goes back again, nobody wants to be there for eight freaking hours waiting for two runs. So I, I get it, I understand. But the reality there is that it does not provide a place for dogs like ours to, to do well or thrive in any way <laughs> yeah you guys oh my god <laughs> but yeah right like it's obviously you have to make money to keep hosting trials but mm -hmm. if the emphasis mm -hmm. is only on numbers we're missing yeah the, the whole point which is emotional dogs. experience of the yeah. dogs and the humans yeah mm -hmm. 
Yeah, definitely. And for like sure. for those of you listening, if you've competed in agility and you've sat in a dirt arena for like six hours before you ran, there's no amount of like truck food food that'll make you feel better. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Okay. So um, I, I want to kind of wrap it up here. So um, mm-hmm. do you want to share like one particular success story of one of your students who really th- them and their dogs really just thrived inside of um, the rad trial? Oh man, just one. (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to one of my students that I have known for years and years, and she was one of my students even back at the original location where I started as a student. Um, Julie with her dog Ripley. Um, Ripley is this super goofy, big black houndy mixy thing that's all pointy with a deep chest, and she's a lovely, funny, distracted dog, <laughs> highly distracted, um, loves toys, can be a little bit of a butt to get her back with a toy. Meh, that happens. But Julie has been working with this dog that she rescued since I've known her, gosh, um, I would say seven years. And she's been my student off and on, just kind of like depending on where I ended up. Like I said, I've, I've worked at one facility, then another, and then finally, what a great dog in Richardson, where she and I reunited. Um, she's been such a supportive student and friend of mine. Um, and I hope that she knows that I support the shit out of her <laughs> and her dog. Um, so her and Ripley have had this relationship that has been growing from when we had classes together with her in foundations um, and then building it through. Ripley is highly distracted by the environment. She has a, I would say a fairly low threshold for, you know, um, repetition and with agility, everybody knows repetitions are like key to, to kind of learning these skills. Um, after she does it twice, she's like, well, why, why? Goodbye. Why would we do this again? <laughs> Something else. Yeah. Uh, so but also she is really interested in other dogs a lot. She likes to visit with the instructor um, and just kind of like poke around and kind of get off track. She comes back, but the, the amount of time and patience that Julie has demonstrated with Ripley has been phenomenal and really endearing. And I, I wish I could bottle that and just like shove it down other people's throats uh, <laughs> because Now, when she is in class and now when she has come to these rad trials, Ripley's skills shine and they've gotten ribbons and titles. I mean, we've had two trials, but at the same time, in that short amount of time, Ripley has blossomed. Like she's, she's shown Julie, Hey mom, I can do this. And, and Julie is so appreciative of of the work that Ripley's in and even the language that Julie uses to describe what Ripley does and demonstrates, she's so happy. She wants to work. She wants to do things when she messes up. She rebounds really nicely now. Whereas before it was a struggle to get her to get over, hey, we missed the jump, let's try that again. Whereas before Ripley was like, nah, bye. uh, but now she's like, okay, let's try that again. And so it's, it's been a really tr- awesome transformation to watch. Um, but she is one of those dogs that if unleashed in a barn, bye, <laughs> toast, see you later. Uh, 
And that, you know, and that doesn't come down to like lack of effort on Julie's part. Um, but that's, a, she's a tough dog, I'll say, you know, it would be a tough dog to work with. Um, and now Julie has a new dog who she got a border collie. She's had border collies before and her new dog, Sergeant, <laughs> he is, I want to say he's almost two, around two. He's a lovely boy, but also highly distracted by other dogs. And her, her story of that is pretty funny. She took him herding and he was introduced to ducks. <laughs> and now ducks and small dogs that make weird noises are his kryptonite. Um, and so <laughs> Rad, again, has given her a place where she can compete with both of these dogs and they kick ass. They look amazing. And, you know, sure, you could chalk it up to, yeah, but the environment's so easy. But no, the environment is still hard for dogs like that, right? For dogs that want to go say hi or dogs that want to go explore or just do whatever they want. Like, that's still a hard environment, even if it's where they have class all the time. But to, to get the, the level of consistent criteria being met through an agility course, which is a lot of very you know, specialized, sexy, <laughs> difficult to train types of unnatural behaviors for a dog to just do boom, 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 like in, you know, in sequence, they're, they're smoking it. And she's so happy and she's so excited for them. So that makes me excited because she wants to, to she wants Rad to, to live. <laughs> I'll say that. <laughs> That is so beautiful. Oh my yeah. God. And like, you know, having that environment where you can just see your friends slash students like thrive. Mm -hmm. Yes. That is so beautiful. That it's really hard for me to turn off the like instructor judge thing. Um, I've come home after teaching classes with like a sore throat because I have like screamed and hollered when I see my students do really well on things that they might've struggled on. Um, so to just be a tight lips, like judge. I'm here to judge. I can't help you or show you extra love. And <laughs> it's hard. <laughs> That's my hard part. <laughs> oh my God. Right. Like not being yeah. able to cheer your students on in real life. Yeah. Oh I'm just like, ah, good job. <laughs> Megan, yeah. it has been a total delight. I think people are going to be so freaking stoked to hear all about this. So everybody listening, go ahead and uh, give them a follow on the Instagram or the Facebook. I'll be sure to include a link to that in the show notes. And Megan, please keep doing beautiful things. I'm so excited to see the future of Rad. I think you guys awesome. are going to kick ass nationwide, baby. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Rachel, so much. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you'd like to learn more about how you can connect with me for training, you can go to my website, agfdogtraining.com. If you'd like more training inspiration and insight, you can follow me on Instagram at a good feeling underscore NCO. If you'd like to become a member and support the podcast, please check us out on Patreon. You can check us out at patreon.com slash disorderly dogs. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast so that you don't miss out on any future episodes and if you really like this podcast and you want to go above and beyond for me you could leave a five-star review over on apple podcast to help more like-minded individuals find us